All right, hey, my name is Matt. It's good to see all your shining faces uh, here to worship God this morning. Just got a couple quick announcements. First off, if you're a visitor, uh, we ask that you would uh, please put your contact information into the iPad if you want to stay uh, more up to date about upcoming events, stuff like that at Pillars. So that'll be going around uh, here in a moment. Pass up, please. Thanks. A couple quick announcements. Um, so the next steps class, if you are a visitor here and you want to become a member, uh, we ask that you'd please attend our next steps class. That's going to be offered next weekend the 2nd of August from 10.30 to noon. Childcare will be provided for that, and it'll be next door, the children's building on the third floor. Uh, that's a, a uh, hour and a half class there that'll go over just kind of what we believe here at Pillar, our kind of core fundamentals, stuff like that. There is a Zoom version of that that's offered for those who uh, want to attend uh, remotely, and uh, childcare will be provided, like I said, but uh, please bring a lunch, something to eat for your family. The other thing going on is the weekend following that is our MC Leaders uh, training course. So due to the constant PCS cycle, living on the island, people are always moving in and out. So if you've been a part of an awesome MC uh, missional community group and you want to decide to lead one uh, for yourself, we ask that you please sign up for that. Uh, the sign up will be just talking to John Ransom. The next class will be August 9th. Uh, that's a Saturday at 6 to 8 p.m. That will also be held next door the Children's Building third floor, and uh, you can sign up by talking to John Ransom for that. All right. Thanks. Hey, good morning, guys. So our um, adopting and loving father invites us to worship him this morning, um, declaring his glorious deeds, um, the deeds of our older brother and rescuing king, Jesus. Uh, that's why we're here, is to, to worship him, to lift him up uh, through the power of his Holy Spirit. Psalm 150, 1 through 2 says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Uh, let that be the posture of our hearts this morning. Uh, as we lift our, our minds, our eyes, and voices, as we make Jesus look glorious because of his mighty deeds and excellent graces, um, would you guys pray with me this morning? Our Father, we come together today in your presence as one people, eager to worship you in response to your gracious call to us. We thank you for making this possible for us through Jesus, who has reconciled us and forever solidified our place in your family as adopted sons and daughters. This morning, we acknowledge to you our many, many needs, for we come to you insufficient in ourselves to be holy as you are holy, and we are carrying broken hearts that are desperate for the healing touch of your spirit. May our worship this morning be pleasing to you. May you see all of our needs met this day. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, who joyfully answers our prayers to your glory. Amen. One of the elders here at uh, church, and we continue our work through the New City Catechism. If you're new here, we have started this a few weeks ago, that we're going through one question a week in order to discuss and learn, perhaps back at home, memorize God's truth in 52 questions and answers. And so what we'll do, they always have a form of a question and a brief answer and a scriptural text. So today we'll review last week's question. And then we'll do this week's question. And today I have my good friend, Emma Ransom, to help out. Are you ready, Emma? Here, why don't I give you the microphone? And we'll start off with question four. This is last week's question. So, Emma, how and why did God create us? God created us, male and female, in his own image to know him, love him, live with him, and glorify him. It is right that we who... 
were created by God should live to his glory. Thank you. Uh, for question five, our question for today, it starts off with a scriptural text. And let's take a look at the scripture first. Do you want to read that? Genesis 1.31 tells us, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And so the question is this. What else did God create? God created all things by powerful word, and all his creation was very good. Everything flourished under his loving rule. Perfect. Hold the microphone, because we're going to repeat, and you're going to lead us as a congregation. And so I'll ask you this, and then all of us will follow Emma's lead here. Pillar Church, what else did God create? God God created created all things by his powerful word. All his creation was very good. Everything flourished under his loving rule. Thanks, Emma. You did great. Uh, Stay there, though. Stay there. Hold on. I want you to stay here in front of people longer. Uh, We have uh, two gifts for you as well. Uh, As a church, we bought... Uh, New City Catechism, the full text of books, which has the question, everything we're doing here, it would make for a great addition to your morning or evening devotion around the dinner table. And so our gift to you is we'll give one per family for the the big book. And also, Josiah, can you lift up the small ones? Or Hudson? Uh, And we have the kids version as well. That's a simplified version. And so Emma and Gideon, Josiah and Hudson will come around with uh, some books if you want one. And we really encourage every family to get this book. And if you have kids, get this book and the kids book. Just raise your hand and uh, tell one of the children which book you'd like. Thank you, Pillar. So let's continue in worship together this morning. Let's lift our voices with the heavens and sing of our status as adopted in sons and daughters of God this morning. Let's sing adoption. You guys can stand if you'd like. We are the cold and starving. We are the cold and starving. We are the scared and trembling. We are the desperately lost. We are the lone and hopeless. We are the outcast orphans. We are the ones no one wants. But a father is coming for us, and you adopted a sin, and you made us your own. You adopted a sin, and you gave us a home. the long discarded we were the long discarded we were the weak and useless we needed rescue and help we 
We were the long forgotten, we were the disregarded, we couldn't care for ourselves. But a father was coming for us, and you adopted a sin, and you made us your own. You adopted a sin, and you gave us a home. Yes, you adopted a sin, and you made us your own. You adopted a sin, and you gave us a home. Sing when I met you. When I met you, I didn't know you had money. I didn't know you were a king. I was too young to know you were a rich man. I just knew you loved me. No, I knew you loved me. Yes, I know you love me. And you adopted a sin. And you made us your own. Yes, you adopted a sin. And you gave us a home. Yes, you adopted a sin. And you made us your own. You adopted a sin. And you gave us a home. Yes, you adopted a sin. And you made us your own. Amen. Let's sing Good, Good Father this morning. thousand stories of what they think you're like but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. 
I've seen many searching, and I've seen many searching for answers far and wide, but I know that we're all searching for answers only you provide cause you know just what we need before we say a word you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you are it's who you are and i'm loved by you it's who i am it's who i am it's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Because you're perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. Yes, you're perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. Sing, you're perfect. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. this love so undeniable I I can hardly speak a peace so unexplainable I I can hardly think as you call me deeper still as you call me Deeper still as you call me, deeper still into love, love, love. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am. It's who I am, you're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. Because you're perfect in all of your ways. 
You are perfect in all of your ways. Yes, you're perfect in all of your ways to us. Lord, you're perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Good morning, family. How's everybody doing? Really good to see you here. Thanks for your grace and patience as we kind of adjust another week and move from, from having a uh, 11 o'clock worship gathering hour and a nine to just, just having a nine. Um, a lot of our family members are still not free to be here and some of our family members out of motives to uh, love their neighbors well or to um, serve their families well are choosing not to be here. And again, we, we respect uh, those motives and those choices, but it's, it's really good to see those of you who are here, here with us. And uh, we're recording this. Um, as you know, we normally just record the sermon, but um, we're trying to, we record the whole thing now and we post it up as soon as we're done so that those members of our family who aren't here can participate at least in some way in what we've done. So for those of you listening in, uh, again, we say hi and we miss you this morning. And uh, we're working, um, we are working to be able to uh, live stream with video and audio from this location here in a couple weeks. Um, I mean, I'll just admit from a leadership perspective, we thought we were doing the video thing pretty well during the height of COVID, pre-recording everything. We thought we were kind of past it when we all got back together. And so we put our gear away and our COVID plans away. And I, I think we, we, we pulled the trigger just a little too soon on that. So now we're adjusting on the fly, but uh, we want to be responsive and uh, be able to adjust accordingly. So just thank you again for your grace and for your patience in that area. Uh, Grant read our scripture uh, passage for us a few moments ago uh, that we'll be learning from this morning. Why don't I pray and then we'll go ahead and get right down to work. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. We are here because we acknowledge that we are poor in spirit. We, 
we don't have what we need for life in and of ourselves, and we don't have what we um, what our souls need. We don't have what our hearts need. We don't even have what our, our minds need. We, we don't have what we need apart from you. And so as a family, we gather before you. It doesn't have to happen in this room. We can gather as a family in so many different places in so many different ways, but still we prioritize gathering with you as your sons and as your daughters so that we can celebrate you as our father. We can celebrate Jesus as our older brother and rescuing king. We can remind each other and be reminded by the word that we are brought to life by your spirit and sustained by your spirit. And we are here to give a, um, a reminder to ourselves and to each other that we desperately need you. So we are here this morning because we need you. And Father, we anticipate as a good, good Father that you will meet us and you will provide for those needs by your grace and through your spirit. Thank you for, for you could just allow us to suffer and be crushed under our need, but as a good Father, you don't. You meet us in our need and you satisfy those needs in so many good ways. And so we thank you for that. Thank you for being a good Father. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. As king, Jesus announces, my kingdom will be a kingdom of peace. Peace will define my kingdom and my family. And so my kingdom will be filled with peacemakers, rescued in rebels who are now sons and daughters, and I will make them peacemakers. Makers, my people are a peacemaking people. So, family, let's just begin with a question: Are we known as a family for peacemaking? When people think of Pillar Church or talk about Pillar Church, is our reputation in our community one of being a peacemaking family? You see, in the PCS cycles, every once in a while, people will be looking for a church, and all the threads develop and. You should go here because X, Y, and Z. I mean, there's lots of great reasons, and I have fun reading those threads for just different reasons, but have you ever seen a church on our island or in any other community recommended because, simply because, and that's a phenomenal church family, they are, they are just all about peace and peacemaking. They are a peacemaking family. Are we a peacemaking people? What an incredible reputation that would be. What a beautiful reputation that would be. What a life-giving family to which to belong, a peacemaking family. But it's hard, it's hard to make with others what you're not sure that you've received for yourself. And for many of us, peace proves to be both elusive with an E and elusive with an I. I don't know if these made it to the screen or not, but here's Here's the first word, or both the words, elusive. They sound the same, but they have different meanings. Elusive simply means difficult to find, catch, or achieve. Just always right out there in front of you. It's eluding you with an E. And then there's elusive. It's kind of on the back end of elusive, right? You, you tried, it proved elusive, and you found out it was just elusive. It was deceptive. It was never really there at all. Uh, to, to kind of illustrate the difference, when I think of elusive with an E, I think about having to match socks as they come out of the laundry. That's why my top drawer is nothing but solo socks that are not paired up because there's, 
the elusiveness of it, and then there's the back end of it, the reality. It was just an illusion all along. Like That's why they're all just single and not paired in the drawer. Elusive and elusive. To be at peace is to be complete in your soul. To be at peace is to know wholeness, to know well-being and health in your heart. It's to be at rest. To be at peace is the absence of anxiety in a heart. It's, it's a heart at rest. To be at peace is to experience an end to hostility in relationships. It's a bringing together of people who once were divided but now are reconciled. There's peace. But for many, peace with God and peace with themselves, you could say, or peace with other people proves to be elusive, difficult to achieve, like so hard to get your hands on. It proves elusive. And it seems as though increasingly it is elusive. Like maybe, it's just, maybe I'm deceived that it's possible that there could be peace. It's, it's, it's never really been there at all to attain. A famous Japanese poet and Zen monk, and I'm quoting him because Zen kind of has the reputation, like if you're going to find peace, you're going to find it through practicing some Zen meditation, right? But listen to what one of their own prophets, if you will, one of their own monks said. Uh, His name is Basho. You can Google him. He's, He's a very famous Japanese poet. Here's what he said. He said, there have been times when my spirit, so dejected, almost gave up the quest. Other times when it was proud and triumphant, I was good. So it has been from the very start. Now listen to what he says. Never finding peace with itself. Always doubting. Never finding peace. Never finding peace. That is an acknowledgement that peace is elusive. Difficult to find and achieve. And here's some Tolkien for, for the Lord of the Ring fans among us. Tolkien wrote a little poem entitled, The Road Goes Ever On. Anybody want to stand and quote it? Any of our Lord of the Rings marathoners? All right. He wrote, roads go ever on over rock and under tree by caves where sun has never shone and by streams that never find the sea. He's got elusive with an E and elusive with an I in there by caves where sun or where never sun has shone. He's, he's acknowledging the sun never has shone here, but maybe it will. And that's how most of us feel in this journey of life. We're like, man, there are, these, there are these dark places in my life and peace has never shown its light there. But maybe, maybe it will. Maybe I'll come around the bend tomorrow and it'll be there. But then in his final line where he says, by streams that never find the sea, it's almost this acknowledgement of illusion, like this deceptive, like I hoped all along the journey, but it never actually empties out into the sea. So many of us feel that way when it comes to peace. Three years ago, it was actually July of 2017, Chester Bennington of Lincoln Park took his own life. Do you guys remember that? Do you remember that? It was three years ago. One of the final songs that he authored before he took his own life was entitled Heavy. And here, just here's a line. He he wrote and sang, I'm holding on. Why is everything so heavy? Holding on. So much more than I can carry. I keep dragging around what's bringing me down. If I just let go, I'd be set free. Holding on. Why is everything so heavy? Chester's words left elusive behind, left elusive behind, and just embraced 
the idea that peace, after all, for him was just elusive. It was just a deception from the beginning. No peace. So his words showed us how his heart moved from hope to despair, thinking all along that peace is, is hard to find, but then getting to this point in life where there's this personal realization, thinking, man, it was never really there to be found at all. Now, many of us would not say that out loud, but many of us feel that way about different areas of our life when it comes to peace. Here's just one more example, okay, one more. There's a young lady by the name of Beth Burgess. I, in doing reading and just some research in, our, in some of our cultural voices about peace, here's what she wrote in her blog. She, she asked this question, how can I find peace of mind? I mean, any one of us would ask that question. All of our friends and coworkers ask that question. How can I find peace of mind? That's a, that's a great question. And she writes this, it's a question often asked but rarely answered in a satisfying way. I think she's right. And then she writes, let me introduce myself. I am an addict, an an alcoholic since my teens. I lived most of my life on various edges. I spent my 20s clamoring out of one cassette. Uh, out of one catastrophe and into another, doing some fairly disgraceful things, hiding, lying, hurting other people and myself. At least one hour a day was spent in absolute misery and penance, sorry for myself and for anyone who crossed my path of destruction. And when I finally got the right treatment and got sober, after a decade of madness, I heard people speak about serenity and finding peace of mind And so in early recovery, it was still an utter mystery to me. And so I I saw a counselor who told me to give it time. And I went to alcohol services, and they told me to work a program. And I listened to spiritual folk who told me to meditate. But no one seemed to be giving me practical answers about how to achieve something I had been searching for all along. Peace. Guys, for Beth... And Beth represents so many of us in this room and so many people in our culture. Beth, for Beth, peace was elusive, hard to find. So how about you this morning? Are you at peace with God? In your soul, are you at peace with God? In your soul, in your quiet moments, is there a sense of peace within yourself that when all the noise is stripped away and all the commotion and everybody else and it's just you and silence, is there peace in that moment? Is there peace? What about your relationships? Can you think of a relationship that you're in right now in which peace is not present? Is peace proving elusive, hard to change, or maybe hard to achieve, or maybe for some of you in some of your relationships, it is proving elusive. You're like, man, this is just an illusion. It's not even ever going to be possible for me or for my relationship with God or for my relationship with this person. Now, guys, all the voices of our culture, all of our cultural prophets, if you will, our cultural priests and our cultural kings, and here's what I mean by that, like all of our um, all the voices we listen to in our culture, our musicians, our movie writers, our social media influencers, um, our athletes, our philosophers, our politicians, our authors, all these people, they, absent the gospel, are, are like so many well-meaning pied pipers of peace, peddling a peace marketing a peace that you could say is a pseudo peace. It looks like peace, tastes like it, feels like it. 
but it's not true peace. And, and so they peddle this peace, and there's a illusion, illusion. We chase after it. It's hard to achieve. And then we're met with this illusion, like, man, I, I hear what you're saying, but it's not even really there at all. It's like something that we're only dreaming of. It's not really known. But of all the cultural Pied Pipers, in my opinion, religious Pied Pipers are the worst, the worst offenders, selling a pseudo-peace. And in case you're not familiar with the history of religious movements in any culture, sadly, religion so often markets a false peace. In fact, we could say the very voices that should belong to prophets speaking life through the gospel often become voices that profiteer through the selling of a pseudo-peace, a cheap peace. This is not a modern problem. This has been a problem all through the history of the world. We know that because of the prophet Jeremiah. He wrote this in Jeremiah 6. He said, These religious Pied Pipers have healed the wound of my people lightly, meaning they didn't heal it at all, saying, Hey, here's peace, there's peace. Uh, give it time and there will be peace. Work this program and it will be this peace. Read this book. Come to our church. Live this kind of life now and you'll know peace. When there, there is no peace, there's no getting to the root. They're like doctors acknowledging cancer and prescribing Tylenol. That's weak and ineffective. So peace is elusive and peace is elusive. Why? We, we need to ask the question, why is that? Why is peace so elusive? Well, here's, here's one of our first clues out of Isaiah 48. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. There's no peace for the wicked. There, there is no peace to be found for the wicked. So you're like, wait, John, you're saying, I don't have peace this morning because I'm wicked? Yes, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's actually not what I'm saying. That's what Jeremiah is saying. That's what God is saying through the prophets. Wicked is another word for rebel or rebellion, Okay, it's, it's uh, in our rebellion, we ran far from God and we did not listen to him or submit to him. That, I mean, that's synonymous with what wickedness is. Because you're sitting here and you're like, all right, John, like I'm tracking, but like my, I'm, I'm not wicked. I've been, I, I was wicked. I was a rebel, but I, I found out about Jesus. I repented. I believed the gospel. I turned from my rebellion and I'm rescued. So what do, what do you mean wicked still? Well, our hearts still have these remaining rebel tendencies, right? The very same acts of rebellion that we carried out before Jesus for, for, for all of us are still the things, they're the places that our hearts go as, we, as we, we, we revert back to rebel tendencies at any given time. And so any time that John Ransom acts on one of his rebel tendencies, and again, I'm not being hard on us, I'm just, the Bible would use rebel tendency or rebellion and wickedness in the same in the same way. Okay, same idea. So anytime John Ransom acts on a rebel tendency, practicing that wickedness, I forfeit peace. That's what Jeremiah is saying. That's what God's saying through Jeremiah. Anytime you and I act on a rebel tendency, acting outside of our, our father's um, will for us, uh, ruling our own lives or listening to a cultural voice instead of his, his, his own, anytime we act that way, we forfeit peace. And so our father calls to us, he, he calls to us this way. He says, this is in Jeremiah 6, 16. Thus says the Lord, here's what you need to do. Okay, here's what you need to do. A lot of this is figurative. Stand by the road 
stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is. Like you need, you need peace? Here's the road you need to look for. And when you find it, you walk on this road. And when you walk on this road, we find rest for your souls. Now, the road that the Bible is going to talk about is, is looking to Jesus himself. He is the path. He himself is our peace. We'll get there and we'll, we'll see that. So that's our father calling out to us. Hey, you got all these rebel tendencies. You got all these Pied Pipers in your culture offering a cheap peace that isn't really a peace. You turn from me. You express wickedness like you did when you were a rebel. And when you express that wickedness, you forfeit uh, you forfeit your peace, but here's the road of peace, and if you stand by it and walk in it, you will find rest for your souls, which is peace. But what do his people say? What do we say? But they said, no, Dad, I'm not going to walk on that road. I'm not going to walk down that road. That's, and this is the root of our problem. Our Father says, here, here is the pathway to peace, and we in our hearts say, no. I'm not going to walk down that road. This, this is the root, the absence of our peace. And so we need help. We need rescue. We need a rescuer. We need somebody to make peace for us because we, we find that we, we can see the road and we can like the road and we can start down the road. But even with the best of intentions, we fall off the road. We go down other roads. We go down other roads of our own making. We never make it all the way down the road on our, our own. We can't make peace for ourselves. So we need a rescuer to make peace for us and to give it to us. And that's exactly what the Father does for us through Jesus. Here's Ezekiel 37. I mean, this is as plain as it can get. John, you need to make peace with me. No, that's never the answer. We are so hopelessly broken in our rebellion, our wickedness, to use the word from Jeremiah and Isaiah. The Father just says to us, son, daughter, I... I will do this. I own it. You can't do it. I can do it. I will make a covenant of peace with you, with them. It's going to be an everlasting covenant. Can't be broken. Once I make it, it will be here forever. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst. I will be with them, he's saying, forever. Verse 27, my dwelling place will, shall be with them and I will be their God and they will be my people. He makes peace and he adopts us into a family of peace and it is, it is a forever agreement with the Father because we don't earn it and we don't keep it. Jesus earns it and keeps it on our behalf. And so that brings us to this question, like who makes that peace? Who is responsible for making that peace? The Father takes responsibility. He works the peace through the work of, of Jesus. Jesus works the peace, and the Spirit applies all the benefits of that peace that was gained by Jesus. So together, the Trinity working together, the Father, um, the Father takes responsibility for it, sends Christ to do the work on our behalf, and the Spirit applies the benefit of that peace to our souls. We see this all through Scripture. Luke 1.79 says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace who guides our feet into the way of peace. It's the only way your feet will ever find the way of peace is if Jesus is guiding you there. Jesus establishes a kingdom of peace. We see this in Romans 14.17. It says, For the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now check this out. I love this verse. This is from Isaiah 9.7. 
It says, of the increase of his government, speaking of the one who would come, the rescuing king, Jesus, of the increase of his government, and of what? Peace. Somebody say peace. 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 All right, we're talking about peace. Of the increase, listen to that. It's not elusive. Of the increase of peace, there will be no end. Do you feel that way in your life? We feel like the increase of the absence of peace is never-ending. Jesus says the increase of peace will, uh, there will be no end. Micah says, Micah 5.5 5 says it as plainly as we can, and we need to say it this way. He says, and he shall be their peace. He is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Christ alone, guys. Peace will always prove both elusive and elusive until Jesus himself is our peace. No shortcuts. Paul refers to the message of Jesus' kingdom as the gospel of peace. We see that in Ephesians 6.15. So it's the good news about peace. And that message is this. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. So we could say it this way. Come to me, all those of you in the room who find peace to be elusive right now, or have, you think you have found peace to be elusive. It's not there for you. Come to me. I will give you rest. How does Jesus give us rest? Here it is from John 14. I give you my peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Guys, Jesus made peace for us with the Father. He made it. We can't make it. He makes it. And then he gives us his peace. So he gives us something that's alien to us. See, if if the quest for peace ends with soul searching, you're going to run in circles your entire life. If the quest for peace is outside of you, but in this created world, you're going to run down every road imaginable and then hit a dead end and have to backtrack all the way, more broken than you were before. Jesus says the only way you will know peace is if you receive the peace that is alien to you. It is outside of you. I have it, and it's mine, and I'm going to give it to you. So Jesus made peace for us with the Father, and then he gives us his peace. We don't make peace with God. We receive peace with God through Jesus. And look, here's what I love about Jesus, among many things that I love about Jesus, he's honest. Like, so a religious, like just kind of Sunday school lesson that's just moralized would end right here. Like, peace, yay, happy life, no more problems, right? Jesus is going to give us peace. It should be easy sailing from here on out. But Jesus looks us in the eye and says, no, you have my peace, but life will still be hard. Life will still be very, very, very hard. In John 16, Jesus said this. He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Right? There it is. But, what? Even while you have peace from me, in the world you will will have tribulation. You're going to have such difficult seasons of life that you would call them seasons of tribulation. So like that's like a really apocalyptic, end timesy kind of word. Tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome all the tribulation that you will face. So Jesus is honest. You have my peace, but life will still be hard. Remember Beth Burgess? Remember what she said about, um, I have lived most of my life on various edges. 
Guys, as a Christian, Jesus never promises that he will take the edges of your life away. In fact, Jesus tells you, he says, I'm going to give you my peace, and most of your life is still going to be spent in these various dark edges of life. They remain. They remain. But we can know peace along the broken edges of this life precisely because Peace is a person and not a set of life circumstances. And so Jesus is with us in the edges and he gives us all the more peace than we need. He gives us the peace in those broken places. So guys, biblically, peace is not the absence of rough edges in my life. Peace is the presence of Jesus in those rough edges and the knowledge that Jesus has overcome all of those rough edges, all of the tribulation that I will face. Remember, guys, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. I know we've focused mostly so far on peace receiving and being at peace, but Jesus didn't say just blessed are those who have received peace. He didn't just say blessed are those who know peace. He said blessed are those who are peacemakers. So Jesus himself is the peacemaker. So when we are baptized into our shared identity that we talked about last week, I baptize you into the name of the Father, and I baptize you into the name of the Son. That's, that's a shared identity that we're being adopted into. And so to be baptized into the name of Jesus is to take on the same, um, that shared identity. Jesus is the peacemaker, and now we are, we are peacemakers in the same way that Jesus is. And so when he says we're blessed, what's the blessing that he's talking about? Well, look what he says. Here's, here's the blessing. Peacemakers will be called sons of God. Peacemakers will be called sons of God. He's not saying that if you're a peacemaker, you'll earn the position of son or earn the position of daughter. And he's not saying if you work really hard at being a peacemaker, I will keep you in the family as a son or keep you as a daughter, as if our performance determines what we get from our dad. That's not what he's saying. Jesus earned our place in the family and he keeps our place in the family. But what he's saying is, Peacemaking is the defining family trait in our family. The family resemblance, if you are a peacemaker, will be unmistakable, like the ransom knows. Um, there was never any confusion that I was my father's son, ever. If the nose left any doubt, the singular eyebrow across the top of the nose removed any doubt, right? So my dad and I worked together when I was a teenager, and he just always looked a little younger. I looked a little older. People assumed we were brothers. We looked that much alike, even while I was a young teen, and he was, I guess, my age. I don't, I don't know, 40, 50, 60. It just all runs together when it's dad. Like, it was his dad. But the no, like, every ransom male has a nose that enters the room several moments before the rest of the person arrives, right? It's the unmistakable family feature. I should have brought a family photo for you today, but I didn't. So that's a ransom. That's a ransom. That is an unmistakable feature. Guys, that's all Jesus is saying about peace. It is the unmistakable family feature that removes all doubt that I am my father's son, you are your father's daughter, Guys, it's peace is in the DNA of our family, just like the beautiful nose that my family is in our DNA. And that's the blessing. 
That, that's the blessing that Jesus is talking about. He says, as a peacemaker, you will look just like your father and your older rescuing brother and king, Jesus. And so what does that do for us? It gives us profound assurance. Man, I, this is my family. He is, I have been rescued. I, I was not about peacemaking as a rebel. Um, clearly, I've been, I've been adopted and clearly he's my dad. So it gives us profound assurance in moments when we're not even sure if we have been rescued or if we are a Christian or belong to the Father. It gives us profound confidence in our place in the family. It gives us joy that, man, holy cow, like look at who I was. I was so consumed with me and myself and, and getting what I want. And now like God is actually changing my heart so that I care not just about getting peace for myself, but I should answer this, Grant. I used to have it. Okay, never mind. <laughs> it's joy. Because God, is, the Father actually changes our cold, dead, rebel hearts that were so consumed with self-interest. And so we receive this peace. But then as a peacemaker, it, it moves from just receiving peace now to peace flowing out. So we are joining Jesus in this work. And, and what a beautiful joy that is. I mean, do you realize, again, we talked about identity last week. Once you realize who you are in God's family, it removes all doubt as to why you exist. Do you realize what the Father has invited you to participate in and how much meaning and beauty and purpose that gives your life? You don't just exist to be happy. You don't just exist to be recreated. You don't just exist for yourself. Life is not empty and meaningless. The Father has created you and rescued you and adopted you into the family and given you his peace so that now you can live as somebody who lives to see other people at peace with God. And You're a peacemaker. What a beautiful thing to get to live into. What a beautiful reality. So our father says, our peacemaking father says, my kids will receive peace and I'm going to adopt them into my peacemaking family. And guys, here, here are our family values. Psalm 34, 14 says, we will seek peace and pursue it. That's our family. We seek peace and we pursue it. Psalm 34, 14. In Romans 14, 19, we will pursue what makes for peace. This is who we are as a family. And then Romans 12, 18. Here's what our father calls us to in peacemaking. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, on you, that's really important, live peaceably with all men. All right, so here's the question for our family. How far do I have to go to make peace? How far do you have to go? How far are you obligated to go? How far? Well, we could say it this way, so far. I mean, so far. How far? So far as it depends on you. Exhaust all possibility for peace as far as it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. All right, so let's ask this question as we, um, as we seek to make it practical. How do I seek peace then and pursue it? Right? We understand that in the gospel, I receive peace with God. I'm not responsible for making peace with God because I can't. And so I, I receive peace with my Father through Jesus. And in receiving peace then, he also makes me a peacemaker and invites me into a life of peacemaking. So how do we live as peacemakers? Uh, let's just look back to Beth one more time. Remember Beth? What was her frustration? What did she express? She couldn't find peace, and she, was asked, she asked um, AA people, 
She asked counselors. She asked, she put them in quotes, religious folk. And what did she express? She was extremely dissatisfied because, here's what she said, no one seems to be giving me practical answers. Well, guys, Jesus makes it so practical for us, so clear, so plain. I was thinking about Beth this week, and you know who our culture is all caught up on right now? Karen, like poor Karen. <laughs> Karen gets all the attention, and it's bad, like it's just, it's negative attention, like just poor Karen. But guys, here's the reality. Um, culture says there are too many Karens, but the, the, the reality is there are too many Beths. Like she and what she expressed is in every one of us, this uncertainty. So let's, let's get rid of the uncertainty. And, and here is the pathway to peace that Jesus was talking about. I just want to give it to you in kind of three ideas that we can actually just kind of sink our teeth into and focus on this week. Um, here they are. How do we live as peacemakers? One, we pursue the person of peace. We, we pursue the person of peace, okay? Number one, we don't pursue peace. You pursue the person of peace, okay? Number two, you pray for peace, okay? And number three, you pay for peace. Okay? So we pursue the person of peace, we pray for peace, and we pay personally for peace. Now, we don't have to make this up. This is not another book, or it's not some religious idea. This is Jesus' pathway for us, and it's modeled for us simply right here in the Beatitudes. I'm telling you guys, if today your Bible was taken away from you, and as it was being ripped out of your hands, the only thing you could grab was Matthew chapter 5, you would have no problem following Jesus. Everything you need to know to be a follower of Jesus is right here, even in the Beatitudes. So, so here it is modeled for us. Just look at Matthew 5, 1 and 2. It'll be on the screen, but you can look in your own Bible. Look at, look at how the Beatitudes begin. And so we're talking about pursuing the person of peace. It says, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, guys, the pathway to peace is found in the pursuit of Jesus. He, he, he calls us to him. He is the pathway that the Father called us to. He is the road that the Father called us to walk on. So we go find Jesus like his disciples do. His disciples came to him and they listened. So we go and we find Jesus and we listen. And for those of you who are willing to go and find Jesus as the person of peace and to listen to him, and to submit to him. Here's what he says. This is Philippians 4, 7. He says, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. Oh, that's what we need. And that is his offer to you. If you go to Jesus and allow his voice to drown out every other voice, he will guard your heart and your mind. The peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. In Isaiah 26, verse 3, we, we learn this. He keeps him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That's what Jesus gives to us when we go to him and we listen to his voice. Guys, peace is found through pursuit of Jesus. Find Jesus, you find peace. Listen to Jesus, you hear the voice of peace. Receive the peace that Jesus has to give and peace is found not to be elusive. Because remember, 
Peace is not the absence of the edges in your life. Peace is the presence of Jesus along those edges. So the place we have to start is pursuing the person, the rescuing king of peace, and then Jesus here in the Beatitudes, all of the Beatitudes is a command to pray, to, uh, to pray, and here we're learning to pray for peace, and the Beatitudes serve as our guide to pray. So here's how we would pray. Jesus, you said, blessed are the poor in spirit. So I'm acknowledging to you that I don't have the peace that I need. I'm poor. And I acknowledge that you're rich and I need your peace. And I'm not leaving until I get peace from you. I have nowhere else to go to get it. Jesus, you say, blessed are those who mourn. So Jesus, I need to learn how to lament how the absence of peace in my life has wreaked havoc in my soul. And I need you to show me how to lament how the absence of peace in my relationship with other people has wreaked havoc, not only in my own soul, but in the souls of other people. And I need to learn, Jesus, to lament that I have not been a peacemaker. That's lamentable. Help me to to, to mourn and cry over that. And Jesus, you say, blessed are the meek. So Jesus, I am not naturally meek. I don't see myself uh, accurately the way that you do. I, I, I have eyes that, are, that have lenses of pride as I look at myself. And so I need you to help me see myself. Please show me where peace is absent and please rip out of my heart any tendency to, to be self-defensive. Help me just to see that peace is absent in places and rather than defending myself, just exercising poverty of spirit. Jesus, you say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. I don't hunger and thirst after peacemaking. So I confess that. Jesus, please increase in me an appetite for peace and peacemaking. Jesus, you say, blessed are the merciful. Help me to see that peacemaking is the most beautiful act of mercy there is. It was the greatest act of mercy that you gave to me. Help me to see that in my own life. You say, blessed are the pure in heart. Jesus, when it comes to peacemaking, I am not. Please rip out anything that is preventing peace in my soul. And please rip out any rebel tendency in my life that is preventing me from being a peacemaker with other people. And Jesus, you say, blessed are the peacemakers. So please make me what I naturally am not. Please make me a peacemaker. So we pursue the person of peace. We pray for peace, and finally, we, we pay for peace personally. It's going to cost you something. Jesus pursued people who needed peace to be made for them, right? We see that in the gospel. And he made peace. How did he make peace? The Bible tells us that Jesus made peace by the blood of his cross. He paid for peace with his life and with his death. So we see in Jesus' own example, peacemakers pursue people that need peace, and peacemakers pay personally an exceptionally high cost for that peace to be made. Guys, peacemaking, if it will be our way individually and as a family, will prove costly to us. But as Jesus changes our hearts, we will find that we are actually increasingly glad to pay that cost. Where for many of us now, there's this reluctance, like, man, I like the idea of getting peace from Jesus. That cost him everything, and he gives it to me. It didn't really cost me much. But now I'm called into this peacemaking, and, and there's this reluctance that we have in our hearts, like, man, that's, that's going to hurt. But guys, as the gospel forms our hearts, as we pursue the person of peace and as we pray, he will actually flip that so that our hearts increasingly desire to be able to participate in paying the high cost 
of peacemaking. Here are a couple examples of how it will cost us. Pride and peacemaking refuse to coexist. Your pride has to die. That's going to cost you. Winning arguments and peacemaking refuse to live in the same house. So hashtag winning. If you're about winning, you can't be, you cannot, I don't know how else to say it. You cannot be a peacemaker. Peacemakers don't set out with the intent of winning. So winning has to die. That's going to cost you. How do we live as a peacemaker? How do we pay to make peace? Well, we choose to let love cover a multitude of offenses against us. So we choose not to retaliate. We give up our right for retaliation. And we don't talk with other people about the minor offenses that others have committed against me. Love covers a multitude of sins. That's what, of wrongdoings. That's what peacemaking does. But wisdom says that love should not cover all offenses. Some offenses need to be brought into the light. So peacemaking actually requires very difficult and appropriately context conversations where there is abuse, where there is addiction to pornography, where there is adultery that has not been confessed, wherever there is somebody living in woundedness and guilt or shame have been heaped upon them and is forcing them to live in silence, that is never a time for love to cover a multitude of offenses. Those offenses have to be brought into the light. And if they are not, those wounded people and the offenders will never know peace, ever. Peacemakers seek counseling. Peacemakers go to counseling. Peacemakers go to marriage counseling. Um, When we were a couple years into our marriage, we needed counseling. And my wife saw it first, and she brought it up. And I was proud, and I was a jerk. And I said, well, you can go to counseling. I wasn't a peacemaker. I was about winning. And I was about proving myself right. Guys, peacemakers, Proverbs says there's safety in a multitude of counselors. Foolish people choose not to go to counseling. Wise people go. There's a stereotype in our culture that counseling is only for weak people. The gospel kind of gives us the freedom by saying, well, you're all weak, so there's that. Um, But it also says, no, strong, wise people submit themselves to counseling because there's safety there. Peacemakers go to counseling. Peacemakers don't keep a record of wrongs done against them, so your relational scorecard has to die. It just has to, you have to rip it up and burn it, like the Chinese spies down in Houston. Like, just go to the roof and pull out all your relational scorecards from the safe and pour a bunch of gasoline onto it um, and burn it. Maybe you could do that symbolically later today. That would be fun. There's a cool place on the top of the third floor of China Pete's, like right on the roof. You could bring a fire extinguisher and do it there. We give people the benefit of the doubt. Peacemakers don't assume motive. John Stott said, we have a fatal tendency to exaggerate the faults of other people and minimize the gravity of our own. Peacemakers attack problems and not people. Peacemakers keep short accounts, so we work to solve today's problems today when we can. We can't always. Sometimes it's better that today's problems wait till you have eight hours of sleep and a cup of coffee, but when you can solve them today, you solve them. Peacemakers go to the source, and we go in humility and with grace, and we ask questions rather than leveling accusations. Hey, man, I observed this, and I could be wrong. I heard this, and I might have misunderstood. I'm seeing this, and maybe I'm not seeing it uh, correctly. Would you help me understand? So we're asking peacemakers, ask questions and listen to understand rather than making accusations. 
Peacemakers learn a new language. So you got to be bilingual. Sorry, this is the hardest part for you today. Um, we have to learn a new language, and it's called the language of confessing. Here's the first three words in that vocabulary. I am sorry. It's a new language. It's foreign to most of us. Here's the other, like the next phrase you learn. I was wrong. Um, it's the language we learn in the gospel. It's ownership. It's it's refusing to defend yourself and, and, and learning to say the words, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Peacemakers forgive the same way that God has forgiven us. Peacemakers practice affirmation because we learn that life and death are in the power of the tongue, and so we speak life, and we learn to affirm evidences of God's grace in people. Peacemakers encourage reconciliation, and we help facilitate it in the lives of other people. So here are a couple questions. Which of my relationships lack peace? Let's just assume we all have a relationship that is lacking peace. Which one of my relationships does lack peace? And in what specific way am I responsible for the absence of peace in that relationship? Where am I not practicing peacemaking? What impact does my unwillingness to make peace have on the people around me? Or maybe for some of us this morning, what unconfessed sin from this week is preventing me from living in the peace of Christ and preventing me from living at peace with other people. For some of us, it's just a matter of we got to confess some junk. You're not going to know peace until you do. And it's not enough to confess it to God. Like, you've got to go confess it to your wife. You've got to go confess it to your husband. You've got to confess it to your children. You've got to confess it to people in your MC. It's got to be more public than just confessing it to God. You know, this year has been a train wreck, right? Just... It's a, it's a mess between coronavirus and, I mean, baseball not starting until yesterday, but at least it's back. Um, and just all the tension that we've seen around conversations of our culture and, and race. But guys, let's allow the gospel to frame this year. So like in our, in our humanness, our humanity, we look at it as a train wreck. I think in, 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 through a gospel lens, we can look at this year and say, man, what incredible opportunities to put the peacemaking of God on display. Like if we are a peacemaking family, we're playing t-ball right now. Like God has put circumstances on a t-ball and given us a bat, not in aggression, but I mean, just with beauty and grace about a swing and like demonstrate what it looks like to be a people at peace and to be a peacemaking family. So like what would that look like as it relates to the coronavirus? We're all so tired of it and so done with it. What does it look like to be a peacemaker with this? The first idea that came to my head, so this is, just know me, I'm a recovering conspiracy theorist. So pre-Jesus, I was just all about conspiracy theory. Guys, I just need to say this as gently and kindly as I can. Conspiracy theory and peacemaking always run in opposite directions. They never run hand in hand. You cannot be both a conspiracy theorist or a propagator of them, or a perpetuator of them, or publisher of them, and a peacemaker. It's impossible. We need to reject the temptation to politicize things like coronavirus. That's what the culture does. Remember, Jesus adopts us into a counterculture. When we politicize, all we're trying to do is place blame and shift blame. So we refuse to be a blame-shifting family. We are counterculture in this way. We refrain from assuming the motives of leaders with whom we disagree. Do you really want to be in leadership this year, like in a city or a country or like, who wants that? It doesn't matter what you do. It's a mess. So peacemakers refrain from passing judgment or assuming motives, I should say, of leaders with whom we disagree. Peacemakers are willing to set aside personal rights, even preferences for the good of others. 
We could have a lot of conversations about masks and public gatherings there. But peacemakers are inclined to set aside personal right rather than guard or hang on personal rights. Peacemakers acknowledge the complexity of decisions and then affirm the good in each choice made. So let's talk about school. That's what a mess, right? So you and your family choose a virtual option, and I think that's not a great choice. I can still find something to affirm in that. You have the good of your family at heart when you make that, or the good of other people. You choose homeschooling, and I don't. I can still affirm something in that. You choose to send your child to school without a mask. You choose inoculation. You don't, right? We can, peacemakers work to affirm and find the good and the God or the gospel-shaped motive in these things rather than to condemn all right, and then there's conversations about race and culture, which is much less, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Inflammatory or difficult or complicated, right, than coronavirus. I wanted to spend a lot more time here, but I chose not to because two weeks from now, we'll start a two-week series on the gospel and race and justice and injustice. So we'll come at this hard in, in just two weeks' time. But just very briefly, peacemakers read books that are re- written by people with whom you may disagree Peacemakers read, and peacemakers listen, and peacemakers ask questions. And peacemakers are willing to acknowledge that the conversation, while difficult, is not itself divisive. Books in and of themselves are not divisive. See, I've had some people say to me, John, you're contributing to the divisiveness. If you would not share books with this title or with this idea, or if you would not have these kinds of conversations, the divisiveness would go away. Is that true? My wife and I were watching this show the other night. It's called Down to Earth with Zac Efron. You got to watch that show. Super cool. So they were in Iceland and they were on the beach and um, one inch below the layer of the sand on the beach was boiling water hot enough to bake a loaf of bread and boil eggs and smoke fish. So old boy cooked an entire meal one inch below the surface of the sand. Meanwhile, they're walking on the sand and they're like, man, my feet are hot. My feet are hot. One inch below the surface of the sand. So he digs the sand away, and there it is, this boiling water. You know what we do when we say, man, you shouldn't have that conversation, or we shouldn't read that book because it's divisive? We're refusing to pull the sand back away. Peacemakers do not look somebody in the eye and say, my feet aren't hot. I'm tired of you talking about your feet hot. Your feet can't be hot because my feet aren't hot. Peacemakers look somebody in the eye and say, tell me more about the heat. And then peacemakers pull the sand away, and what do we find? Wow, there's actually boiling water below the surface. And so then a peacemaker doesn't try to justify the boiling water, doesn't try to use history, or doesn't try to posture themselves, or be political, or any of these things. A peacemaker says, man, I wonder why the water's boiling. And then a peacemaker chases it all the way back down, and in the show you learn that the water's boiling because of all the volcanic activity that's happening below the surface. Guys, There's no other way to say it. There have been hundreds of years of volcanic activity boiling below the surface as it relates to uh, race and the racialization that's happened in our own culture. And too often Christians are just like, it's not hot. I don't know why you're talking about being hot. there's, There's no heat here. Guys, peacemaking Christians are like, man, you say it's hot? Let's find out. Let's dig it away. And so we dig that sand back and we're like, holy cow, you're right. There's a lot of stuff here that I didn't even know. I didn't even see. I didn't experience, but that didn't invalidate your experience. And so then we do the hard work of asking, okay, why is the water boiling? And that's what we're going to do in a couple weeks, guys. Peacemakers dig into the sand and explore why the water is boiling. 
All right. Family, are we known for peacemaking? Are we a peacemaking people? Peace does not have to be elusive because Jesus offers us his peace. And peace is not elusive because Jesus worked to make peace and give us that peace. Let's practice now um, in response through our song and in our, our family prayer and in communion. Let's just come as a family and let's practice what it looks like to be poor in spirit and together with one voice, let's just say, Jesus, we don't have what, it, what we need. Please give us what we need and please make us a family of peacemakers. you guys join me in prayer this morning? Father God, we recognize that we are a people that are not peaceful in our own hearts. God, we recognize that we, we don't pursue peace in you. God, that we're not peacemakers all the time. Lord, it's only by your grace, your mercy, that we may know peace and that we can be peacemakers Help us to see that oftentimes we're blind. We don't look to you as often as we should. We don't rest in you. But Jesus, you are our peace. When we know you, we know peace, and we can be peacemakers in this world. We can put you on display in the glorious grace and mercy that you are. God, we recognize that we do a very poor job of that this morning. God, we lay ourselves down before you, asking for your mercy, for your forgiveness in this. God, we love you. We praise your name this morning. God, heal us. Only by your power and your spirit are we here and can we do this. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Now we have the opportunity to gather at the Lord's table and we respond to the gospel. We've, we've worshiped by singing and hearing the scripture, hearing the word preached, and now we get to celebrate the Lord's table and continue in our worship. We look at these elements as the, the bread and the juice as symbols of our salvation. It's nothing magical. Eating and drinking the, uh, these elements, they don't make us Christians. They don't save us. It doesn't grant us salvation. They're just symbols of the death and the payment of the penalties of our sin, of our rebel tendencies, of our walking away. They're just symbols of the payment Christ had paid for us. So we do this each week because we need to remember that we, we do have a Savior. and He has completed the work of our salvation. It's nothing that we can do. We can't earn our own salvation. As John said, like we can't make peace happen. He's made peace by the blood of his cross. And so this isn't a table of any denomination, but it is a table for those who have been rescued. It's a table for those who call upon the name of Jesus and say, I, I'm a rebel. I need you, Jesus. I need you to save me. And so this is a table to remember that. 
If that's not you this morning, we ask to, that you just stay in your seat and, and think about the word preached this morning. Uh, talk to one of the elders. Talk to one of us. Um, but this table is for family members. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul continues on later in that, those verses. For as often as you eat and drink this bread and cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's the good news of the table. That the Lord Jesus Christ gave his life and his righteousness for us. That we may be adopted into the family. We have a little bit different style of communion this morning because of the COVID. Uh, they are little pre-packaged cups up here. Um, we are unsure if they are gluten-free. If that is you this morning, I'm sorry, but we do have communion cups. Um, you can come up through the uh, center aisle, uh, either table on left or right, uh, and take one back to your seat. Uh, reflect on Christ's work on your behalf and take as you're ready to come celebrate the Lord's table when you're ready. You guys join me in singing it as well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my Lord, Thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. 
at Psalm 51 where David cries out and says create in me a new heart so I want to continue last week we, we sang why it is no which is based off of that verse I want to continue that thought sing the song only your blood is enough it's been a little bit since we've sung this song but it's also based on Psalm 51 let's sing only your blood is enough this morning shame conceived in sin I've always been born in a world where Adam's fall corrupts us and rooted is the seed of death in life's first breath the law demands a perfect heart, but I'm defiled in every part. For only your blood is enough to cover my sin. And only your blood is enough to cover me. Seeing all this guilt disturbs my peace. All this guilt disturbs my peace. I find no release. Who will save me from my crime? I'm helpless. Behold, I fall before your face in need of grace. So speak to me in a gentle voice, for in your mercies I rejoice. For only your blood is enough to cover my sin. And only your blood is enough to cover me. Sing, Lord, create my heart. And Lord, create my heart anew. Father, come and make us wise. Only you are pure and true. Lead us away from our demise. Lord, you are the remedy. For only your blood can set us free. Only your blood can set us free. And only your blood can set us free. Only 
No bleeding bird, no bleeding beast, no hiss of branch, no priest. No running brook, no flood, no sea can wash away the stain from me. No bleeding bird, no bleeding beast, no hiss of branch, no priest. No running brook, no flood, no sea can wash away the stain from me. For only your blood is enough to cover my sin. And only your blood is enough to cover me. Yes, only your blood is enough to cover my sin. And only your blood is enough to cover me. And only your blood is enough. Only your blood is enough. Only your blood is enough to cover my sin. And only your blood is enough to cover me. Thank you for uh, worshiping Jesus with us this morning. Remember, we have received peace uh, that was made for us by Jesus himself, and now he is working to make us peacemakers. So I want to leave you with this benediction this morning that comes from 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, and it's a prayer, and the prayer goes like this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. He's doing it, guys. He's going to do it this week. He has given us peace, and he is making us a peacemaking family. That's what we get to walk into this week. That is beautiful. And it is hope-giving and life-giving. I love you. Thank you for worshiping Jesus with us this morning. And have a great afternoon with, um, with your Savior who's given you peace and with your family and friends. Love you guys.